coming to you live from BGM Pittsburgh. You're listening to the 3PL Premier League podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm Mike. With me is Kev and Josh. Coming up on this international break edition, we're going to talk some USA versus Mexico. We're going to look back at some of our thoughts in the Premier League so far, and we'll pull out our crystal balls and preview what we expect to happen between now and the end of the year. But first, Kev, you mentioned you were going to the Smokies. How were uh, how was the Smokies? I feel like I was really the, the like pl- just sad. Like everything's exciting, and <laughs> then it's sad? like first, <laughs> Kevin. How was how was hiking? Like yeah, no, it was, it was good. It was good. It, it, it's I don't know how much you guys have been paying attention to like weather related news, but it's been really dry in the southeast. Uh, and where I live in Tennessee, we haven't gotten rain for like three, four weeks or something, and so there's been kind of fires all over the place. So the the trail we, we went to on Sunday, the trail like right next to it was actually shut down by park rangers because of fires and, and smoke and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the Smoky Mountains really kind of lived up to its name uh, this weekend and it was good. Yeah, it was yeah, nothing too intense, but we got out there, got some nice pictures and got out in the, in the nature and it uh, felt good. I feel like nice. I shouldn't laugh at forest fires, but the thought of the Smokies. On yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Smokies. I'm like, oh, it's funny. Smokies. They're called the Smokies, and it's on fire. You were a That's terrible not funny. person, Josh. <laughs> terrible person. I mean, I don't think, I don't. I could be completely wrong, but I haven't heard of any, like, I don't know, super negative, like, as far as anyone getting hurt or anything like that. So. Yeah. Besides thousands of trees burning to the ground, Kev. Well, I, all yeah, the squirrels. I, I, all the squirrels. Know, like, con- like controlled burn fires are actually like really good for the ecosystem. Like I'm just yes. finding this stuff out. Like I didn't know this stuff. Anyway, <laughs> I thought this was like your thing. I know. Like, isn't this like? <laughs> I was like, I so yeah. I I got my I got my uh, degree in geographic information science, aka geography. And I always said I was an indoor <laughs> geographer. Um, but uh, <laughs> clearly, yeah, <laughs> you didn't know about controlled burns. <laughs> yeah. This has been another installment of Kevin's Nature Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Join in next week yeah. when we... No. We never said you wouldn't learn anything here. Um, so yeah, I was supposed to go to uh, Niagara Falls this weekend, and then there was a last-minute change of plans. But uh, my parents still took the kids anyway, so we had a weekend where I was like, oh, this is great, we'll just like relax. And still, no, it was like the honey-do list just came flying out of the closet. <laughs> All right, so I did a whole bunch of little projects around the house and somehow ended the weekend more tired than if the kids were around, which I don't know how that works. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Josh, you were in Columbus, man. Yeah, yeah. I went to the USA-Mexico game and also saw a whole bunch of family, uh, hung out with Liz's dad and his wife, and it was a lot of fun. And Yeah, I like Columbus a lot. It's a fun little town. Nice. Yeah, so that that segues that segues right into the game here, uh, USA uh, versus Mexico, mm-hmm. Dosa Uno, um, which <sighs> yeah, yeah Josh. So so, but let's let's do this, okay? Let's let's not be negative. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll I'll be negative. Don't worry. But you you can be positive. Walk us through. You know, you went through the whole festivities as a you know fan. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm guessing you hung out with the American Outlaws. Talk us oh, yeah. through that whole thing. You were there on the ground. Yeah. So this is like my third or fourth time doing. Uh, the Columbus match in the hex with the Mexico. So it, it's always fun. And American Outlaws are fantastic. They they show up and they take over Columbus. It, it's crazy. The whole time I was there, even after the game and like just walking around like a couple hours after the game, there was 
you know, American scarves and like <laughs> American outlaws just everywhere in that town. Um, the festivities beforehand, I don't know if you uh, know Fourth Street Bar and Grill. That's kind of like their hangout. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty awesome. They have like a whole outdoor area in there. Um, they also have like against the side of the building, they put usually like one of the TIFOs that they did years previously uh, against cool. it. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, and they have like another little spot that they take over as well, like two blocks away. So it's like it's so big, they can't even stay in like one area that's like spread out. And then the tailgates are just massive. You can see like different cities. Um, like the American Outlaw Philadelphia, American Outlaw Pittsburgh, cool. American Outlaw Dayton. Like they're all just these flags are all over the place, and you just kind of go from one tailgate to the next one, just seeing everyone hanging out. Sounds uh, great. The Pittsburgh crew was there. It was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of food, pulled pork, barbecue everywhere. It was it was great. <laughs> so all that's great. All that was fantastic. Everything before the game <laughs> was a lot of fun. Um, even right when the game started, or not the game started, but we get in the stadium. I don't know if you guys saw the TIFO that they did. They did a whole stadium-wide, um, like everyone had their cards, and they held up the cards. Yeah. First time I've ever been a part of one of those. That's a lot of fun. What color did you get? I got blue. Okay. Uh, got a blue card. I didn't keep it. I just, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't in the mood after the you're, game. I was like, I'm not taking this home. You're so sentimental, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Something I didn't know is uh, those cards, they all have like a little slot for your, like to put your eyes through so you can see what's going on. You're supposed to like, hold it in front of you, not clever. above you. And it's like, it, it kind of is, but it's kind of weird being around a whole bunch of people that have a sign up over their face. And you just see everyone's eyes just staring. <laughs> I was like, well, this looks creepy. <laughs> But no, yeah. seeing on the jumbotron like during the whole thing was awesome. It looked fantastic. I looked up pictures later on to see what it looked like on TV, and yeah, they did a great job of that. Yeah, it looked so, really yeah. cool on TV. It was one of those. It's always one of those things too, where I always think like, oh, you know, that's really cool. Fans are doing it, but mm-hmm. it feels like they're doing it for everybody who's not there because they can't see it themselves. But yeah, but you had the little eye hole, and then you can uh, look at the jumbotron the whole time. The giant flag in the middle of the field during the whole thing that was really cool as well. And they also gave everyone little American flags to hold up during the national anthem. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I always yeah. I always wonder who makes those giant flags. Like where where yeah. who has a facility big enough to uh, to actually pull that off? It's impressive. it's impressive. It was very impressive. The other thing I thought was impressive was just, you know, we're not gonna get political here, but in the wake of everything, the uh, the unified team picture that was taken where the US players and the Mexico players got together. Um, instead of doing the individual team photos, they did yeah. one together. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the game. Uh, one of we the things to. we have to, <laughs> I know one of the things that I realized is, is, and you know, this may sound, um, I don't want to say anti-American cause that's not right, but I don't enjoy watching the U S team play. Like for me, I'm all, I always get hyped for it. I'm like, Oh, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. And we get about 10 minutes into it. I'm like, Oh, that's right. I hate this. Like, it's just, it's, <laughs> but it wait, feels why? like, so it feels like it's an all-star team, um, or it's uh, a okay. theoretical all-star team. And so therefore the play on the field isn't great. Like you're never really connecting more than like three or four passes together. Um, I think that Klinsman's got to go. Uh, I think he's all hype and no sustenance, um, sustenance. Uh, and I just end up getting more frustrated than anything else. I think even if the team wins, like there are moments like I remember back in the day, you know, Donovan scoring that game winner at the end in the World Cup to to 
take them up to the next round and everyone was going bananas i mean literally when you watch the videos of like bars around the world as that goal happens like that's a tearjerker like that's a rudy moment for me where you know Mm -hmm. i don't cry a lot but like you see that and it's like man like this is impactful (laughs) but then i see situations like we saw in this game where you know klinsman comes out and tries to go with a three five two which the team like has never really played that before. Uh, apparently, he, he later came out and like insisted it was a three four three. But yeah, I get your point. Totally. But this is the problem: <laughs> is that he he's he's constantly trying to defend himself. He's constantly throwing his players under the bus. Like I would have loved. He's been in charge for how many years now? I would have loved to have seen him say, "This is our system, and this is what we're going to do." He's never played the system more than a few games in a row. He's never playing the the players in their right position. And anytime you have something like an All Star game like this, the players need to have some familiarity with something. We saw it in mm-hmm. this game where he was playing Christian Pulisic basically in the middle of the field to start, and as soon as he switched and moved them back out wide where he plays for Dortmund. He looked amazing. He looked lost for the first 20 minutes until he made that switch. And so I think that I don't want to compare myself to an Everton fan because I don't think that's a fair comparison. (laughs) But I have so much hope when I watch this team because I'm like, these players are, are pretty good. Like, they're not terrible. But it used to be something where I think that the U.S. team used to collectively play above themselves. And at this point, they're collectively playing below themselves like i think they come to the national team and they just look worse yeah it it used to have like an underdog feel to it where it always felt like they were just going to scrap it out and get the win and like you know it would be you know a nail biter of a game and they'll be keeping possession like not keeping possession but be keeping the ball out of the goal just barely the whole time but you're you're right and i think you hit on it a little bit there is consistency. There's just not that consistency that we used to have, even with the players themselves, though. I don't know if it's all on Klinsman, but it's we're in this transition period still where it feels like half the players are newer players that we haven't seen year in and year out. We got, you know, the Woods and Palooza, like all these guys who just, they're good, but they're not, they're so new still and they, they haven't meshed at all. And in a national team where you only get a couple games together a year, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 it's really hard to see the team mesh in a timely manner. Whereas it used to be, you know, you knew who your front line was. You knew you had Donovan. You knew you had Dempsey. And, like, these were your players that you kind of anchor the team around. I don't feel like we have that yet. And there were moments where Wood looked great, and it, it looked like it could happen. I, I thought Altidore had a decent game at first. So I was like, wow, this this could be it. This could be it. And it just never really came together. Would, would you guys have an opinion on – I mean, so just listening to what you were saying there, Josh, it got me thinking about – you're right. I mean, coaching a national side is really difficult in that sense where you don't have them week in, week out. You have them just a few times throughout the year. Do you think maybe the American side lacks some level of identity? So, for example, if you're a, if you're a decent Spanish player coming up through the ranks, you know what's kind of expected from you from a national level. Same thing with same thing with Germany, Italy. I mean, I think England actually suffers from this as well as kind of a lack of identity. And so when they do come together, it is like a collection of individuals rather than this clearly identifiable, this is how we play, I'm comfortable in this, and, and we go from there. Do you guys think this is something that maybe, maybe I'm wrong and the USA side has and just for whatever reason it's not clicking? Or do you think it's something we need to develop and it's not there? Or do you think it's important at all? <laughs> 
I see what you're saying. I, I do think identity as far as like a, a kind of like what it means to be an American player yeah. or what it means to play for the USA. What's that identity? It used to be underdog. It used to be scrappy. It, it was, you know, you can't keep that identity though because at a certain point you get good enough where you can no longer be like, hey, we're like, you know, the people who shouldn't be in the in the league and, you know, we're just trying to prove ourselves worthy of being there. That's not a good, you know, identity to have when you're trying to grow soccer in America and you're trying to grow in skill. So it's almost like we have to find a new identity now that's not just, you know, hey, we're barely scraping by, but we're getting it done. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the <clears throat> things that uh, the identity that I think a lot of people identify with, at least in terms of the national team, is that never quit. Like, we'll be fighting until the end no matter, you know, how bad we're losing. It's just we're just going to keep fighting. But that's not necessarily like a play style, over. right? You know what I mean? That's, oh, that's... no, 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 no. But that's I think that's one of my that's one of my big complaints about Klinsman is that he's been here for years and there's no I mean we're now trying out a three it was a three four one two against Mexico and if you look you know it was talked about on the game literally like five seconds in as soon as Mexico realized what we were doing they immediately changed their tactics to um, exploit all of the space that was in behind our midfielders and it, they showed I guess it was about twenty minutes in. Um, there were some other podcasts talking about this where you had Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley basically go over to Klinsman and were like, this isn't working. Like, we need to switch to a 4-4-2. And you can see the look on Klinsman's face like, what? Uh, uh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, go do that. <laughs> like, it's something where when the players are out there, like, we need to take over and take charge of this team, there's a problem. And there's a lot of talk behind the scenes about, you know, Klinsman is very much not so much a um a tactician but more of like i'm just gonna find players put them in positions and they'll figure it out and when you're not giving players direction and you're putting them in positions that they're not used to playing you're just setting yourself up for disaster and i i'm all for you know finding new talent and finding young talent and you know finding deandre yedlin and christian pulisic and and John Brooks's of the world and trying to start this youth movement with the team. But if the players don't know what they're doing, you're not making them a collection of, they're not making the collection better than the whole. You're just, you're making for confusing soccer that drives me mad. So do you get the feeling that Klinsman's kind of like that hippie parent that, you know, just like lets his kids run wild. be like, you know, they're finding themselves, you know, I'm just letting them explore their, their them, inner selves. They can poop just, in the yard. It's yeah. Fine. Yeah. It's I mean, natural. getting in touch with nature and <laughs> yeah. like just that's that. how you become a better person. Go hang <laughs> like, in the Smokies. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's like, no, can you please tell your kid to shut up? He's on the bus. <laughs> Annoying everyone. Just... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what's gonna happen with Klinsman. Honestly, I mean, I, I, I mean, well, let's let's just put. Let's, I'll try to flip the the narrative a bit. Do you think Klinsman? It seems like Klinsman has a hard job on his hands. It's this isn't like he has a wealth of talent to pick from, and it's. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It, it's. I think I, I don't know. I always have a lot of sympathy for for national team coaches because it's. I can't imagine. Because I, I feel like at least probably 30 to 40% of your job is generating some degree of culture in your entire national squad, all the way from the you know under-21s to all the way up to the senior side. 
on top of everything else as far as bringing in these collection of players, making a team out of them, doing tactics, all this. And so it's I, I do sympathize with him a bit in that sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. And the thing I just keep coming back to, I'm not well-versed in, um, like, great managers in the MLS squads right now. But, I, I mean, who would replace him as far as if, if you want Klinsman out? Yeah. I mean that's that's the hard part mm-hmm. is you know who's a better fit for it. Um, I I there's two parts of this. I I think Klinsman's really good at the the finding the players part. Like he seems to be really good at finding talent, bring him in, getting him on board with playing for the U.S. I mean that that has been good. I I do think a lot of his finds have been great finds. I just feel like he's not that presence in coaching as far as like practices and that kind of stuff. That's making trying to mold this team into something. I feel like he's just finding parts but not putting them together. Um, but, I mean, it is hard because they don't get that much time to do it. But we have seen more success or at least the same level of success with worse teams in the United States. You know what I mean? Like in years past, they've had even less to work with, and we've gotten just as far and yeah. done better. So I can't put it all on, you know, poor cleansman he doesn't have a good team or he doesn't have enough talent it's like he has more talent than we've ever had before and he's still not doing as well it, as others have done and i mean it comes with the territory of being a national team coach i mean if, if that's not the kind of thing that you want to deal with then don't be a national team coach there's you know how many nations in this world and they all have national team coaches and they're all facing the same challenges so while i agree that it's difficult because you don't have the players for very long and you're trying to build a culture and do all of these things it's something you have to overcome. And, uh, you know, I think part of me is slightly biased as well because he's also the uh, technical director for basically all of U.S. soccer. So he makes decisions about, you know, how the youth level should be training, what everybody should be focusing on, instilling rules for all of that. And um, and there was there have been a couple of rule changes that have come down since he was uh, put in charge that I've just – I've found to be – I don't want to even say obnoxious, but you know, one of the big one that came down this year was they changed the requirements for all of the different age groups for youth soccer so that it's no longer based on your school year, but it's based on the calendar year you were born. So basically what that does is that aligns us with the way that all of the European teams play once you get to a certain level. You play in an age group based on the calendar year that you were born. That makes perfect sense. Sure. Fine. When you get to U18s and U20s and you're playing at the national level, you want to line up that way? That's great. When you get down to U6 and U8 and you're now having kids who are like best friends in the same class and one of them has to play in U6 and one of them has to play in U8 because of the year they were born, you're completely removing one of the large aspects of why kids play youth soccer and that's for the socialization and fun aspect of it and you're getting kids to just quit. And it feels like these little nitpicky things that I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Focus on this other thing over here that we could really use help with. And it's just, I feel like I'm being really negative. I need no, to. That's a good point. <laughs> it's, I, mean, it's, it's, I think it's a really nice kind of, you know, you're on the ground in, in situational, you know, and it's, yeah, it's good observation. I guess the, the counterpoint to that, though, would be maybe that is a way to weed out the kids that are just playing because it's fun and not wanting to develop into profession like you know what i mean like in his eyes i'm not saying that's a right right mind frame to be in but you know you have soccer that kids play in school <laughs> like for their you know soccer team in school but then you have like the the leagues outside of school and like they're playing to try to get 
the you know to filter out and make the best players possible right i mean that's one of the things that that we're wrestling with right now within our organization is we're losing a lot of kids once we get to the U10, U12 level because of how it's structured. And you have a lot of these kids who just want to play for fun. Like it's clear that they're never going to go on and play for travel teams and they're never going to go on and play for their local school or whatever that may be. So mm-hmm. we're we're basically reducing the talent pool by making it more difficult for these kids to have fun. And that brings into question as coaches and, and whatnot, you know, what is our role within the organization? Is it to just find good talent to push forward or is it to build a system where anybody who wants to play can have fun up to a certain level? And in that process, we are developing better players to feed that pool. And, you know, for Klinsman, who's constantly talking about like, oh, you know, we're one of the biggest nations in the world and and we should be developing the next Messi and Ronaldo just from a numbers standpoint. If we're cutting down our numbers, we're removing some of that possibility of developing those players. And yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm done talking about it. OK, so let's do this. What, <laughs> what I guess one of my other beefs about watching a USA game is I don't ever feel like we actually leave the game having learned anything because anything we may have learned over the course of the game could be scrapped and started over again by the next game. So Josh, you were there. What positives did you take out of this game? If any? Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. I I would say that the idea of having wood up front and, and Altidore healthy, uh, isn't a bad thing. And isn't, I mean, they looked strong near the end there. Like it, it looked like we could, come back um so th- I, that's something to be positive about one of, one of the things after wood scored you could hear there was a camera like right next to when altador came over and you could hear altador going i told you baby i told you so you could tell like <laughs> there's this camaraderie between them that's growing that i think is awesome so if altador can stay healthy i think that's something that could be really good moving forward i agree with how, that. how old is altador He's like nineteen. Like he's been play- <laughs> he's been playing for what feels like fifteen years. I think he's really. I think he's twenty four or twenty five. Like he's still really young. I'll give you an answer. Which, yeah, yeah, I'm looking it up right now because yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> and I know he's young. I know he's twenty seven. Not as old as I think he is. He's twenty seven. Twenty seven. Okay, twenty seven. So, so I mean, he's not super young, but still. Yeah, it feels like he's been around forever. Um, he yeah. got his start with. Uh, what was it, the Metro Stars before they became the Red Bulls? I believe so, yeah. And then he went abroad, yeah. Um, they had a – so MLS did their, there for a while. I think they still do it. They have, like, these little mini documentaries that they'll do mm-hmm. on uh, their YouTube channel, and they had one on Out the Door. If you can find it, check it out. It His story is pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other takeaways is that uh, Christian Pulisic is legit. Uh, I, was, I was impressed that he was wearing the number 10, and – I was intrigued to see how he would do in the middle. Didn't do so well in the middle, but when he would pick the ball up um, out on the wing and, and dribble into the middle, you could tell that it, Mexico was just trying to hack him every chance they could because they just did not want him. At one point, there was a one play where he was streaking up the up the field and the defender just laid down, like just fell just fell in front of him. There was no chance of him beating him at all. So the guy just took the yellow and it was like a football tackle. And um, I, I yeah. think it'll be exciting to watch him develop because he's only 18. And my only concern with him is that I would like to see him stay at Dortmund and continue to be in a good situation where he's starting and playing and getting minutes in a competitive situation as opposed to 
you know, getting the, the sniff for a bigger club where then he ends up riding the bench and not really learning as much. That's always the fear, yeah. You, you need to be in a good league and actually getting time. Like, <laughs> there's like a balance. You go down a league if it, that means you get more time. That's kind of like what you have to do. Speaking of, the rumors are that Liverpool are very interested in Pulisic. Um, so. There goes that. There goes that play time. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't right know. That I mean, it's... He's not crack. We've talked about how Daniel Sturridge isn't cracking that lineup. Yeah. Do you think Pulisic gets into that midfield? He, he's not. He's, he's not, not. He's, he's not. He first, no, I don't. I don't see Pulisic as, as in the midfield three. I think he's one, part of the front three. And I think there's two things that are potentially interesting in it. It's one, the sniffs around Coutinho leaving for like Barca mm. are getting bigger and bigger. Um, and two, uh, it's. If, if Liverpool continue on this trajectory, they'll have Champions League next year. And so this, we need a bigger squad that are going to be able to put in performances midweek and weekends. Um, so, and I think, and the other thing, apparently Pulisic and his dad love Klopp and all this other stuff. And so <laughs> that matters, I guess. I don't know. But but anyway, that's, that, that, I don't want to go into EPL Liverpool stuff right now. I, I can feel Kevin, like, you know, tinkering on the engine for the bandwagon of just all the people that are going to jump to Liverpool if Pulisic ends up Come jumping Come follow the Liverpool. U.S. Wonder Kid. It's just going to, yeah, it's going to be ridiculous. But that's a good point. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I don't want to see him go somewhere. I mean, we've seen this happen with U.S. players how many times where they get hyped up in the MLS. DeAndre Yedlin, who had a fantastic year for Seattle and then went abroad and what he signed with Tottenham and then Tottenham traded him out somewhere else. And now he's just Sunderland, stuck in no man's land. Yeah. yeah so he's all right. Yeah, Freddie Adu. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of them. I mean, there's just a lot of players that, you know, you, you see them a couple of times and you think they're going to be the next hotness. And then suddenly they completely disappear. The next yeah. hotness. I like that. Yep. The next hotness. <laughs> all right. It, USA. I feel like it's, it's even worse is that we get, our hopes up on these like young players like some 18 year old or some 17 year old we see him playing like this is going to be it he's going to be the guy he's going to be the next uh donovan and then suddenly <laughs> we put all our hopes and dreams on him and then like they play three games and then you never see him again you're like oh okay i guess yeah. not. i remember watching freddie adu on trl like it was like <laughs> soccer is mainstream man he's on there and i i, I distinctly remember it. they had set up like a table with a bunch of glass cups on it, like stacked up like a pyramid. And they were like, kick this ball and break all those glasses. And the first time he did it, he missed. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Here I am, like, soccer's made it. We're mainstream. And he misses his first shot. I'm like, oh, dude, go back to middle school, please. <sighs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's uh, let's put this game to bed. USA end up losing two to one. They get Costa Rica. Uh, when you listen to this tonight, so Tuesday night, uh, we'll see how they fare. The last I think eight games they've played uh, in Costa Rica, they lost. So uh, fingers crossed for this one. Let's uh, let's see if they can make it out of the hex alive. Um, I, th- I, th- I still think we will. I, I I think we're good enough to make it out of the hex. I don't I don't think. That's going to be an issue. I hope not, at least. But if we lose this game as well, it's really the morale is just going to be so low going into the hex and losing the first two. So if they lose this game, ooh, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> want to think about it. The, the, the discussion about, about Klinsman at that point. I mean, after they lost the gold cl- gold cup so terribly um, this past year, it's just yeah, it's a massive. Oh, uh, one other thing that I totally forgot to bring up. Um, 
something that I don't know a lot of people know is that USA really has, it feels like they're only playing the games at Columbus because of the, the mystique of Dose Zero. Mm-hmm. Now that that's been broken for the first time, I seriously doubt we see another game at Columbus Sta- or at Crew Stadium. I, I just don't see it happening. Moffrey Stadium, I don't, I, it saddens me to say that it's one of my favorite games to go to, but after that loss, I, I don't know if there's anything keeping them there. Yeah, I've, I've seen some stuff online about, uh, well, first of all, you could tell that apparently after the game, Mexico was really excited about winning this game because there is this this um, this mystique about playing in yeah. Columbus that it's a difficult place to play. But I mean, that that I agree with you in that I think that the U.S. is going <coughs> to use this as an opportunity to try to play games in larger stadiums and other places in the country to draw a larger crowd and sell more tickets and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, this brings back U.S. played Mexico in Azteca, which, you know, they had never won in Azteca. And it was a really difficult place to play. And then U.S. beat them there. Does that lower the mystique of Azteca at all? Or the next time we go in there, are we still going to think, like, this is a really tough place to play? So I see both sides of it. I I agree with you. I think that the U.S. is going to look for somewhere else to play where they know they're going to sell more tickets to the game um, than playing in Columbus. But at the same time, I'm with you. I would hate to see them move it from Mafre just because I think it's as close to a home field as you can get for U.S. at this point in time. Yeah, it worries me. I, I hope I'm wrong. I super, super hope I'm wrong because I feel like that is still one of the best atmospheres out there right now is going to the Mafra Stadium for this game. But I could see them playing the money game, being like, you know, if we have it at a bigger stadium, like it maybe still in Ohio somewhere, or maybe, you know, around that area somewhere, we could definitely make more money. So, yeah, we'll see. All right, let's... uh. Let's put this one to bed now that I'm all depressed. Let's talk a little bit about the Premier League season. I, okay, so one of the things is is that I've said this a number of times on the show. This is really my first season getting into it. I never thought that I would miss watching Premier League games like I have been during the international break. Like, it's just like I wake up and, and there's like this void where I'm just like, what – what do I what do I do? Like I keep checking the Premier League app on my phone, like looking for scores, looking for something, and I'm like, they don't play for another week. Like what do, what am I gonna do? Yeah. So we've yeah. just we've just passed week eleven out of thirty eight. So we're not even a third of the way through the league yet. We're almost there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about biggest surprises and biggest disappointments of the season so far. Kev, you actually prepared something for this, so I'm going to go ahead and let you go first. I love how it's like, oh, for once, you actually came through. <laughs> I wrote some notes too, you know, like three minutes before the game, yeah, or before the, game, more before the podcast started. Um, yeah, I mean, so my, my biggest surprise is also kind of my biggest disappointment, although I'm not exactly disappointed in saying this, um, but it, it has to be United. I mean, I think it, with... With Mourinho coming in and the signings they made over the summer, I was genuinely afraid of United in a way that I haven't been since Ferguson was there. And uh, and right now, I mean, yeah, they're, they're sixth place, eight points off of first after 11 games. I think that's that's the biggest thing is it's after 11 games. I mean, that if you see those numbers maybe after 20 games or so, then that makes a bit more sense. But... It, it feels like we haven't even played that much and they're already, you know, in sixth, eight points off. And so that's just kind of the exclamation mark on, on how the, the beginning of their seasons went. Um, 
so that that was really surprising for me. Another another just small one is probably a uh, West Ham actually um, being one point off the relegation zone, and um, it's not entirely surprising when you look at the number of injuries they've had at the beginning of the season. But I think they were <sighs> last season they played I think above expectations and with the excitement of moving into the new stadium. Although I think probably a lot of their local fans may, might might have been a bit not disappointed but um i don't know i did the feelings probably weren't totally enthralled with mo- moving into the the london stadium or the olympic stadium or whatever it's called um but yeah i was i was a bit surprised by that um just that just west ham being being one point off Josh, since you also prepared something, what what uh, what would you say is your biggest surprise or biggest disappointment thus far? Um, biggest surprise, I would say, is I, it, this might be premature, but just how close the tables look, or the table looks, and how well other teams are doing that aren't normally considered the top four, um, including with Man U not being as good, so that kind of leaves some room for some other people to creep up there. Uh, it just it's surprising, and it feels like this year more so than most are is more competitive than I've seen in the English Premier League. Usually, you know, you have those teams that you know where they're going to finish around, and there's not really that many surprises except for like maybe one point or one position up or down on the table. It's like you you kind of have it all laid out predetermined before the the season starts. It doesn't feel like that this year. It feels like there's a lot more fluidity. It looks like a lot could happen, and it's anyone's game. And I think ever since last year with uh, Lester, I mean, it's just you, you, now you just don't know. You, you don't feel comfortable. <laughs> You're just like uh, anything. I I don't know. I, who knows what's going to happen? Lester freaking won it last year. Who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I guess biggest disappointment it would also be Man U. There's no reason this team should be doing as badly as it is. With the, look at that roster, look at the money that's in that team, and it just makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, what are they doing wrong? They they have a good manager, they have a great team. I just I don't get it. Uh, let me ask you this: so you mentioned you know the top four, and there's a lot of teams competing for that top four spot. Coming into this season, who would you have predicted to be the top four at this point? Out of, you know, you mentioned the typical top four. So if I just asked you prior to the season, who would your typical top four be? Who would you say? I mean, if, if I'm going in with the research into the, to this season in particular, I'm thinking Man City is definitely up there uh, with, you know, Pep. And it just seems like that is, like, destined to happen. And I would also have said... Uh, Man U because of the fact that they do have the talent they have, uh, just just the money they they flash with all that that talent. You just like okay, yeah, they're gonna be up there. Um, after that, it would probably be, <coughs> unfortunately, Liverpool. Um, <laughs> Even I wasn't gonna say maybe. that actually. <laughs> you don't think so? I mean, before the season started, you didn't think Liverpool was going. Well, I mean, if I try to completely remove myself from. Being a Liverpool fan, honestly, I, I think it w- my my predicted top four after uh, eleven games probably would have been uh, City, United, Arsenal, and then that fourth spot would be really tight between you know Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool. Um, I was going to say Chelsea, but it's hard to say if that's because I'm influenced by the season. You know what I mean? Like, right. yeah. you know, hindsight 2020, where it's like, oh, looking back, like, yeah, definitely. I mean, they had Chelsea's a lot of, awesome. And they had a lot of questions coming in with Conte. Exactly, this yeah. is his first year. Mm-hmm. You don't know how he's going to adapt. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Yeah. So, I, probably not. 
What about me in terms of my top four? Yeah, in terms it, of what, biggest, what would you would have? What you thought, thought the top four would have been after eleven games coming into the season? So being complete outsider and really, you know, having not followed the EPL, <coughs> you know, much to everybody's uh, encouraging, I would have guessed just from the outside that it would have been something like United City, Arsenal, Chelsea just blindly like thinking of teams that I hear about a lot. And this is where I think they're going to fall. Um, you know, I knew about some of the United sightings. I knew that city had just won the title recently. And, um, you know, Chelsea had won it recently and Arsenal always seems to be in the mix. So even as a casual fan, those were the four teams that I would have expected to be near the top. Um, no one said Lester. I'm just pointing that out. Yeah. <laughs> it it is one. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, in a league where, especially you know, from the outside, everybody always stresses, oh, you know, the the the, the EPL, it has such parity. You never know who's gonna win. It's it's so dynamic that the winners from last year, everyone's like, yeah, no, that was a fluke. Like that's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I've never understood that. I I never once felt like the Premier League is so parody you know what i mean like i don't feel like it's the league you watch if you want to see like anyone win i'm like no you know who's going to be near the top who's going to be near the middle who's going to be near the bottom like you kind of have three leagues going on within one league um but like that that's what they always say about M- mls where i feel like that's true with mls like yeah. who the heck knows what's going to happen in mls anyone could be the winner um but with premier league like there's their history there there's just there's different levels of money being spent and you kind of know what you're getting into the money the money's a big thing i mean I, it, you do have examples and outliers and exceptions of leicester last season um but i mean if you look you know like liverpool's only loss this season was burnley who would have thought yeah. that <laughs> like so I, I i i do think there is still i think there's a lot of individual week by week games where i never really feel confident about calling it like I, I I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be completely floored by really any result like coming <laughs> coming up this weekend. Whereas I don't know. I it, I could be once again completely wrong. Please tell me if I am. But I I don't follow the Spanish league or the Italian Italian league or the German league. It seems like you know your Barcelona's, Madrid's, Munich's, Juventus. They're not really ever losing to the bottom six yeah. seven it just doesn't no, th- happen. that's true the, the the disparity between the teams is a lot bigger yeah in, in those other leagues it feels like you know there's not gonna be anyone coming even remotely close to the spending of a barcelona in that league right. it's just not gonna and now happen. That there's so, so much because of TV that money in, in the epl everyone just getting yeah. cash everywhere yeah. yeah, there's a lot of cash, but there's still a disparity sure. as far as how much yeah, cash. Definitely. But everyone's getting a lot of cash. <laughs> so it's more likely you're going to see something like an outlier where someone finds a good find and like they, they make a big difference in the league. It still blows my mind when you hear reports of like, oh, you know, Barcelona's interested in Coutinho. I'm like, are you kidding me? You already have Messi, Neymar, Suarez. Like, you can run <laughs> through the list of like the world-class players and you want Coutinho too. Like... Come they on. have like unlimited money though. It's like yeah, you know, it's... at this point, it's just obscene. It's just like, yeah, whatever. We can we can just buy the whole every single good player out there. Yeah, Why they not? they don't even need sponsors on the front of their jerseys anymore. They're like, we're good, we're good, we're going old school. You guys. But I also feel like that's a detriment though, because then like if you get on one of those teams like Barcelona, like do you even really need to do anything? Because you're playing in a league where the competition is not as great. So it's like, eh, 
you're, it kind of feels like you're on like the Harlem Globetrotters team. You know what I mean? We're just like going out there, scoring a lot yeah, of goals. They look like they're having fun, right? Signing the Harlem Globetrotters. They look like they're having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I, think, I think when you're on a team of that caliber, you're not playing for your league. I mean, your league is second fiddle to Champions League and to, you know, the, the Club World Cup. Like, you're, you want to be the best team in the world, not in your league. It's just assumed you're going to win your league. Yeah, but I just feel like at that point you're playing so little competition and real competition. It feels like every game is a scrimmage besides yeah. the tournament games. And if, if that's the case, like, you're not going to stay, I think, on your best you know what i mean but then again i can't begrudge any player that goes with them i mean like their careers are limited right (laughs) so if you can break into that barcelona and make great money for a couple years then do it (laughs) yeah totally i agree let's do this let's talk a little bit about predictions um so we've got a few games to play here between now and we're not going to say for the rest of the season because that's that's too far down the road Let's say between now and the next international break, which is after the July, the January 2nd games. So basically between now and the end of December. Um, any gimmies, any sort of bold prediction, who we think's at the top of the table. I will go ahead and start us off with bold predictions, and uh, we'll see what you guys think. <clears throat> Excuse me, think about this. Again, these are bold predictions. I am going to go out there and say that I think that Manchester United by the turn of the year is going to not be a top 10 team. And I think that city (laughs) city drop out of the top five. (laughs) And and, yeah, here's, here's my rationale for that. Okay. (laughs) I think that we've seen flashes of United starting to get it together, but part of me worries a little bit. I mean, we've seen shades of, of Mourinho from last year at Chelsea, where he's really, He's a good manager, but he's not a great manager like he used to be. And I feel like he's a lot of what he's doing right now is similar to what we've seen with Klinsman, where it's kind of like he's putting stuff out there. He's not really figuring stuff out. And coming up, they have Arsenal. They have Everton. They have Spurs. They have Palace, who have been falling down the table a little bit. And they have West Brom, who have been climbing the table a little bit. So I could see a number of those games them losing and some of the other teams that are beneath them, Watford, Everton, Burnley, all have quasi-favorable schedules where they could pick up some points, and all of a sudden, Man United's on the outside looking in. Um, I think City, you know, the past few games that City have played, they, uh, let me see here, I just had this stat up. So, the last five games that City have played, they lost to Tottenham. They then drew 1-1 to Everton. They drew 1-1 to Southampton. They beat West Brom 4-0, but then they turned around and drew 1-1 to Middlesbrough, a Middlesbrough team that's currently at 15th. So right now, City's sitting at third, and uh, their schedule coming up, I mean, between now and the end of the year, they're going to have to play Chelsea. They're going to have to play Watford, who's climbing the table. They're going to play Arsenal. They're also going to have to play Liverpool. So... I could see them continuing to drop a few more points and that would leave for me neither Manchester team in the uh, in the Champions League running. So, what do you guys think about that? If I could That's if I could definitely a bold prediction. If I could drop my <laughs> mic, I would, but it's sitting on top of the <laughs> Oh, sure. Of my okay, desk. so if United are like outside of top 10, Come the new year. Do you think Mourinho's still there? Because that's nuts. <laughs> ah, that was you're ruining my Sorry. prediction. My prediction <laughs> was gonna be. I feel like we're gonna see a management change. 
uh, for Man U if they don't get their act together, which I wasn't very possibly don't get their act This is crazy. This is, <laughs> <laughs> I, this is supposed to be bold. This is supposed to be like Kevin's crazy like, talk. Kevin's like, I'm going to go get a drink of water later. That's my bold <laughs> prediction. Um, my other bold one, though, was that... Uh, Does that I mean like I'm, really like, I'm gonna, bold, like, not drinking water? Is that what you're suggesting? My <laughs> <laughs> that, that's his boldness? My bold prediction is I'm going to drink water. Yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Uh, no, my, my other one is that Manchester City uh, turns the ship around and we see them go on a winning streak. And, you know, Pep writes that ship and they go back to the top. So you think by the by the time we get to January, we're going to be looking at a league where City are at the top of the table again? Yeah. Interesting. I, you know, part of me still has that little piece, you know, of in Pep we trust. Um, and I do think he can turn it around. I think I've been somewhat surprised by the teams that they've lost to and drawn to recently um i mean they're they're, i mean the lineup of what who they have to play coming up isn't that hard i mean crystal palace burnley obviously chelsea's gonna be a hard one lester um watford i don't really think those games are all that hard for them to, to to win so the only one that really makes me think i don't know is chelsea well i mean i totally agree with you but then like i said i'm just looking back when they drew to everton they drew to southampton and they drew to middlesbrough that's the only thing that gives me yeah. a pause i thought they turned the ship when they won four nothing against west brom and then the turn around and you know go one one there's something about that team they have all the talent in the world i mean i said at the beginning of the season that i thought that their midfield was one of the best midfields that i have seen and Sterling has sort of fallen off a little bit. Obviously, uh, Kevin De Bruyne was out on an injury. And, um, uh, yeah, they they just have some things they need to figure out. Uh, I still think they're a scary team. I still think they're going to end up as a Champions League team. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, bold prediction. So, Kev, give us your uh, your quasi-bold yeah, prediction bold. here. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I, I not quite bold. Be, I, was, yeah. I was too sensible with mine. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, so I, I went through. I didn't go all the way to the December 2nd games, but I went all the way. I mean, sorry, January 2nd games. But I went all the way up into the new year, and it's kind of plotted each of the top four's next uh, eight games out in my head and kind of came up with a point total. So just quickly running down the list, and I'll, I'll say what I think the top four is going to be by the new year. Um, I think... Out of the next eight games, Liverpool, with a potential of 24 points, will get 18. Chelsea will get 20. City will get 17. And Arsenal will get 18. Um, which means at the, the the top four in the table is going to be Chelsea at first on 45 points, Liverpool in second on 44 points, Arsenal third, 42 points, and City fourth, 41 points. And I think Tottenham United and Everton all stay out of, of the top four and uh, are fighting around that area. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was actually, I was doing the math and I was excited. Yeah. Liverpool top of the league, you know, they're going to be there. And then I'm like, ah, crap, I don't have them top of the league. (laughs) So I, I I think the reason why, so I have, I have city getting the least, um, point totals out of the top four right now. And I only think that for two main reasons, one of them, I think, so they're still finishing up champions league games. And I think midweek games, are always going to put you at a slight disadvantage when you're playing on the weekend. Both Liverpool and Chelsea mm-hmm. don't have to deal with that. Um, on top of that, you know, I've Klopp talked a lot about the kind of winter stretch of the the number of games that you know the sides have to play. There's all the the fixture list gets very congested around the winter time, and 
I think I, I know that took Klopp by surprise. I'm hoping it's going to take um, Pep by surprise at City. So I think the combination of both Champions League games and now games start coming thick and fast. I'm, I'm hoping that kind of derails them a bit. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I have them four points off, off first come January 1st. I still put them very much contenders for the title. Um, I, I think they're going to, yeah, I, I think they'll challenge yeah. it. But. A lot of games to be played. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I think the the four teams, when you look at the table, I think the four teams that you mentioned, Liverpool, Chelsea, City, Arsenal, those are, I talked last week about sort of the tiers. And to me, that is that top tier right now. And I think that teams like Tottenham, um, like, I mean, I just predicted Man United's going to be out of the top 10, but Tottenham, Everton, I think those are the teams that are sort of knocking on the door. They're good but they both have a few things they need to figure out to be great. I, th- I think and Tottenham if- can be can get really interesting because if Kane comes back and he, he immediately picks up form, I think they could be really dangerous. Um, yeah. But I True. I don't know if he can just immediately slide right back into form. Um, if he doesn't, you know, I think I think Tottenham are going to be pushing for a, a top four finish. If he comes back fit and firing, I mean, they could, yeah, they could be really dangerous because obviously I don't. I don't see them losing a lot of games simply because of their defense, um, but I still think the the reign of Kane is over. I, I don't I don't see it happening. Not buying it. Nope. I'm I'm writing that down now so that later I can make you eat it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, t- totally legit. I mean, yeah, if, if, if in four like weeks that. we see Kane on your fantasy team, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, I'll do it too. I, no shame. <laughs> like, nope. Okay. Choo choo. I'm on this Kane train. Let's do this. <laughs> But I think I think Kev to your point too. I think that Everton have shown that if they can pick up somebody, you know, especially with the the winter transfer market coming up here soon or the window coming up soon, if they could pick up somebody that can help Ross Barkley in the midfield and play connect the dots with Lukaku in that defense, oh, I'd be so happy. They could be a scary so, team so, as well. So like your 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 Christmas wish list, Josh. What is your like? What player do you want for for Everton? Messi. This is the the Everton pessimism in me. My wish list is for us not to lose Lukaku. (laughs) It's not who we get. It's who we don't lose. (laughs) That's really where it comes down to. To transfer or injury. Exactly. (laughs) I'm not worried about who we pick up. I'm worried about who we lose during the transfer window. And so I'm I'm just hoping Lukaku stays aboard. No, absolutely. Because there was some concern about him leaving at the beginning of the season. So the like, rumors what, are already abound that. Yeah. What What about your beloved Tottenham team? What do you What do you expect, and what do you want to see out of them? What's that, Kev? As you're I'm showing off the showing off your jersey. Wearing the jersey. I'm wearing the jersey today. It got chilly up here in the in the bedroom, so I was like, I'm gonna put on something long sleeve. Oh look, my Spurs jersey's clean. Um, what is my, what's my wish list for, for Tottenham? Um, for, and, and what for do you Christmas? expect? I, I think, and what you would expect from them and what you hope to see from them and all that kind of stuff. What I would expect from them, I guess, between now and the end of the year, uh, let me pull up their fixture list here real quick. Um, you know, I guess that my hope I've said all along, I, I feel 100% confident in this team's defense and, and goaltending. I think that we could, you know, continue to run through now from now through the end of the year and still have not lost a game and I would not be shocked. My biggest concern at this point is scoring. I think they need to get Deli Ali in the same game with Kane and we need to get Sun back in the right mindset. Um, you know, get Erickson firing. 
they need they need an offensive spark and they need to bring it all together. The last few weeks have just been putrid. In terms of their fixtures coming up, you know, between now and the end of the year, the games that worry me, they're going to have Chelsea at the end of November. Um, and then really, that's it. They're going to have United on December 11th, which, like I said, I'm not really concerned about. Uh, I will be intrigued to see. I could see that Chelsea game being a nil-nil draw um, or have it come down to some fluky set piece like with Arsenal, where Tottenham scores on themselves for some reason or another, and they lose that game one nothing. But otherwise, there's nothing that really concerns me in that stretch. I just they need to start scoring. They're not going to win the league by just getting you know nil nil draws. So um, yeah, it's if the Kane train isn't rolling, then uh, they got to do something. And I don't know what that is. And, and Cap, to your point, I don't know how you convince a striker to come in at this point mid season um, to try to hop on the the Tottenham train. So. We'll see. But um, I think, unless there's anything else that you guys really wanted to dive into here as it relates to the Premier League or um, USL or USL. Oh, my gosh. If you, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, I, I went on a brief USL tear. For those who want to know what I'm talking about, head over to the BGN website and click on it's the Mongols. Piece, uh, yeah. That was a good piece. Yeah. Uh, there's more coming. I'm, I'm feeling this itch, almost like we need to do a Riverhound show, but I don't know if there's enough. I'm in. I don't know if there's enough to talk about. Um, I think there's enough. Well, <laughs> oh, just you wait, wait, wait till I release the next few posts. I did. Uh, I saw um, our buddy, our buddy. He hasn't been on the show yet. We need to get him on the show. Danny Earls um, has been putting out a, a number of uh, more artwork pieces that he's been doing, and so I asked him if uh, if he was to rebrand the Hounds and come up with a new logo, what would he draw up? And so I haven't heard back from him yet, but I thought that would be a really cool thing to yeah. to talk to him about. So maybe we'll make that happen. Um, Something to bring up real fast about uh, back to Premier League. Uh, did you guys see that both Hazard and uh, Casta might have injuries? Oh, yes. Yeah, this me is in, wrecking in, my fantasy team. Just <laughs> completely wrecking. I mean, it's just like I, I don't know what to do without Hazard or Costa. Like, ugh. <laughs> and yeah, you, you could care less about Chelsea. You're just like my fantasy what's, team. What's I mean, I know. I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> They, they play Middlesbrough, so yeah. I'm, I'm not really too worried about them losing, but that's, that's a lot of points on my table. Um, let's see here. So it says that Hazard has a calf injury, and Costa has a groin injury. Um, Martinez did say, for for Hazard at least, that you know, eh, he got taken out at the half, and he, he should be fine. He, he looks like he's fine. So it, it's kind of more of a just scary because we don't know for sure. Um, if he's gonna be okay, I don't know. I haven't read anything about Costa though. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I just went to check my fancy team. I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that pretty much does it for this show. So thanks everybody for listening. We will be back next week with all the Premier League action and. We're going to be recording live at Piper's Pub in Pittsburgh's Southside. Woo. Uh, so if you're around Monday night, swing by. We will be there talking about all the action. A number of you on Twitter have said, hey, are you guys going to be here? We want to put some names to faces or voices to faces. We will be awesome. there Monday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Josh, is Liz coming too? I Yeah, I believe she is. So yeah, we're yeah. going to have Liz on the show as well, Josh's wife. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow us on Twitter at 3PLpod. Email us at 3PLpod at bgn.fm. Check out some of the other great, beautiful game network shows 
at bgn.fm. We just posted a fantastic New Pittsburgh College soccer show with our friend John Krasinski. We covered all of the amazing Whippeal action in college finals, and he got a number of interviews with a lot of the high school players, a lot of them that are going to Pitt and other colleges locally. It's, it's a great show, so go check that out. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. and thanks again for listening. We will uh, talk to you very, very soon, potentially in person. Cheers. Later. This is the 3PL Premier League podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more great football, soccer, beautiful game podcasts at bgn.fm.